Welcome to another episode of The Rental Journal, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Tony Lockwood, the National Sales and Marketing Manager at Daiichi Australia. Tony, to kick things off, can you talk about some of the roles you've had in your career and how you got into the hiring rental industry? Yeah, so I started in the hire industry when I was 15. So I um, I had a friend of mine who, who was actually in the in opening up one of the local hire companies in our little small town. And uh, he said, look, we need somebody to come in for a couple hours a day and after school and kind of roll hoses and wash machines and do general yard hand duties. And I kind of, um, I jumped at the chance, obviously gave me a couple hours work every day. And uh, so I used to, after school every day, I used to ride my bike down basically to the, uh, the hire place and uh, the rental shop and, you know, do whatever needed to be done on the day. And I guess, from there, it went, uh, you know, I graduated from high school, and as soon as I graduated, they put me on full-time as a, you know, a kind of an all-rounder, you might say. I used to do yard duties, drive truck, answer phones, kind of whatever, whatever kind of took its place. And I guess I worked there until I was 20. And in that time, I kind of moved up into a, an assistant manager's role. And then I also went into a bit of a, I was working with the asset management team as well. So that was a company called Valley Rentals, which um, actually got bought out by United Rentals um, after I left. So joining the industry at the age 15, did you realize that this might be an industry that you want to stick in for the rest of your career potentially? Well, pretty much, I guess. I, I kind of, when I started at Valley Rentals, I kind of, I really, because I like playing with machinery. I think as most people, folks kind of do, I guess. I, I kind of like working on machinery, fixing things and doing all that. So when I started at Valley Rentals, I, I realized fairly quickly that I wasn't going to be a mechanic. As much as I like working on things and taking things apart, I struggle getting them back together. So I cut it, cut myself off short there and said, okay, you know what? You're not going to be a mechanic. Um, but when I moved to Australia, I kind of still had that want to be a mechanic. And um, yeah, I was looking for a, an apprenticeship appre- um, in, in some sort of mechanics and then found the job around coats. And it kind of suited kind of what I, what I thought and liked. And um, yeah, before I knew it, I'd applied and had the role and started with them. So yeah, I spent eight years working for them. I, w- I went through, like I said, I started off as a trainee manager, then went to an assistant manager, then to a branch manager. Um, I was managing, I guess, Alexandria, which was one of the kind of their busiest kind of branches across the country. Um, and then from there, I had an opportunity at Force to go in as an operations manager at Force Access. So I left Coates, sadly left Coates, and uh, went and worked at Force Access for I think it was about eight years, just over eight years. And uh, again, went from operations manager to a state manager to a national asset manager role. Um, fantastic. Again, another fantastic business, fantastic bunch of people to work with. Um, then took another opportunity with Select Plan Hire, which, um, you know, look, I was only there for a year. Didn't, didn't last long there. There was, um, you know, the year I started, I guess, wasn't the greatest of years. They kind of cut their, cut their work. Well, they cut their revenue by almost half. So, um, I guess it was inevitable that it was probably going to happen sooner and later. We got made redundant after about just under 12 months. And then went back in the coats, worked at coats for a couple of years, and then went into the OEM side. So working at the likes of Valley Rentals and Coats and Force and then Select Plant Hire as a construction company, really, how did you end up at Daiichi on the OEM side? I guess if, you want to, if you're looking at that, I was at JCB for a couple of years, um, JCB CEA, and then I came across to Daiichi again, which was a – which is another, I guess, um, I didn't, the, the gentleman that's the CEO over here, I've worked with in the past. I actually worked with him when he was at Coates and um, stayed in touch over the years. And we've always had a good relationship and he, he's, a, he's a great guy and a great manager. So I, um, when he said, look, I'd like you to come across and take on this national sales manager's role. I was, 
personally, I've never done sales, uh, direct sales before. So it was a bit of a challenge for me to accept a sales role, but um, you know, it was, uh, it's been the 12, last 12 months or so have been actually fantastic and been really doing really well. So it's good. So most of your career, you worked in the operations side of the business, and then you switched over into a, a national sales role, which is very different. Was that more of a conscious decision or was that your current manager reassuring that you have the skills and that you would be a good fit? You've almost, you've pretty much nailed it on the head. The CEO is like, you've got these skills. You probably don't realize you've got these skills, but you've been doing it for, you know, through all your your state manager roles, your operations manager roles. You're always kind of managing salespeople and working in sales. And I guess at the end of the day, we're all in sales, right? Um, so yeah, he, he kind of that didn't convince me, but he kind of gave me a bit of reassurance that I would fit into the culture and the business really well. And Again, it's big when you've actually got a manager you can fully trust and you know he's doing the right thing by you or they're doing the right thing by you. So I um, I definitely said, all right, well, I'm going to give it a crack and see what happens. Having a relationship with someone like that is definitely great and it's almost like he's uh, acting as a mentor as well to sort of ensure that you continually progress. Now, having those skills from uh, working in the higher side for so long, it must have been great to transition that into the OBM side when you do connect with your customers. Oh, definitely. Uh, definitely. Like, especially one of the things in the higher industry, I guess, is, is you know, when you've got especially machinery of, that's costing a fair amount of money for them to have it on site, but it's also the teams of people they have around those machines that are costing them so much money if they're not working. So for something like downtime and, and delivery times and actually, you know, making sure the machine's going to do what they actually want it to do um, is really important. So I guess from a, from a sales point of view or from a product OEM point of view, going into a, a higher company and saying, well, look, this is your requirements. This is the, this is how this machine meets your requirements. And these are all the bits and pieces around it that are going to help you, you know, help your customer. That's really important to me. Yeah, definitely. I think just talking their language and understanding the challenges that they face is a big advantage. So let's talk about some of the mentors you've had over your career. Is there anyone that really stands out or just some people that have been a big influence to you? Um, look, I've had some, I probably, I probably wouldn't be able to say specifically one or two different people. I've had some really great managers. I've had some really great leaders that have helped me, you know, guide me in the right direction and stuff over time. And, um, you know, I've had some bad ones, I think as well, that have helped me, uh, learn a bit. But I think, I think what I've learned through all the different managers and leaders that I've had throughout my career is that each one of them has always got something that they can give and something I learned from. I guess it's, to each of those people, I grab that little bit. I learn from them. It helps me as a person. It helps me in my career. It helps me, like I say, how, as a person grow as well. But I think it's the little bits and pieces that everybody's given me that's made the difference or made me kind of who, who I am in, in my life today. Um, obviously, like my parents, uh, my parents had their own business when I was young. And um, I guess watching them work as hard as they did and seeing the ups and downs of having your own business, uh, that's taught me an enormous amount. So watching my parents, you know, work so hard has just taught me, I guess, that it does take hard work to get anywhere. I'm sure seeing your parents have their own business definitely would have given you a good perspective of what hard work is. So let's talk about mentors where you've helped other people out. Are you involved in any programs? Yeah, look, mentoring, I think mentoring is big for me, actually. I've, I've, I've had some mentors in my life, but I, I, like last year I, I worked with the um, HRIA with the Women in Hire program. I mentored uh, one of the ladies from Coates there last year, which was fantastic. I think I learned as much as, you know, I got out of it as much as she did, which was great. Um, this year, I'm mentoring the Women in Hire program and also the Young Professionals. So I've got two mentor- mentees this year. So I'm big on, I really am big on, um, 
you know, people learning from other people's experiences. And I guess when you've had close to 30 years in, in the industry, you've kind of seen and heard and, and done most of probably the challenges they're going to see in some way, shape or form. Um, so giving them a bit of guidance or a bit of help just to, to make it so it's not so stressful on them or, or help them achieve their goals is fantastic. This is the thing when, when you, I guess it's one of the things I've learned is, is that when people offer you opportunities, you got to just look at them and say, you know, is that, you know, if you're going to learn and you're going to have fun, and you're going to enjoy doing it. A big thing for me is you got to enjoy what you do. And, I, and I'm, I'm a massive believer in, in, in the fact that if you don't like what you're doing, go find something you are because you spend way too much of your life doing it. So if, if you don't like your job, find one that you do. Um, you know, and I, and I actually, I've always, I've always loved working in the high industry. You know, like I say, when I was at Coates, I've got to work on these massive infrastructure projects like the M5 tunnels and all these across city tunnel and all these big jobs that are, that, you know, seeing buildings go up in the city. And I just think it's fantastic to be able to see a job start from scratch and then you get to go see the finished product, even though you've only had a tiny little part in the whole building process, you still had a kind of a part in it. You, it's just that real kind of, it's just a really good industry to, to work in that way. So I heard you just say that you learned just as much as the person that you're mentoring. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I, and I, I felt selfish in saying that, but it's, it's, you know, you kind of, you, you join the mentoring program to help others, but you actually really kind of help yourself grow as well, because exactly that you're talking about situations and you're learning from your own, I guess, thoughts around how to solve the, the issue or, or help that other person. You're actually teaching yourself, which again, it's a selfish way to look at it, but I quite, I think I got a lot out of the program myself last, last year. So. And so is this the first year that you've joined the mentoring programs at the Hire and Rental Association? Yeah, look, uh, this is my second year on the Women in Hire program, my first year on the Young Professionals. So this year I've got, uh, I've got a lady from um, Skyreach Equipment and I've got a gentleman in the Young Professionals from uh, Kennards. That's great. Hopefully more and more people get involved in those types of mentoring programs. Just to give some insights to people, can you talk about what's actually involved in being a mentor? Yeah, look, we catch up about once a month um, with my mentor, my mentees. I generally catch up with them on, well, prior to COVID, you'd be able to have a coffee or something, but now it's basically phone calls or, you know, you try to catch up once a fortnight or once a month. Um, we catch up as a group once a, uh, once a month to go through a session. So we learn things like they'll, they generally have a presenter come in and we'll, we'll teach you on, you know, some sort of you know, accounting or management or something along those lines to help the people grow. Um, and I generally attend those as well anytime I can, which is most of the time. So we, we do. Um, but yeah, as a mentor, you just got to be able to kind of listen, um, give feedback, um, and, and just really kind of listen to the person and trying to find out what they're going to achieve and, and, then, and then just try to help them along the way. I don't, um, you know, that, that there's nothing special about my career that, that makes me a better mentor than anyone else. I'm just, again, you just got to have the willingness to help and listen. Listening is definitely the key. Let's talk a little bit about how the industry's changed over the last few years. Compliance is an obvious one, but where do you think the main evolution has actually occurred? Yeah, the key changes are probably the two biggest two biggest things I think would be probably massive in safety and then technology. So I think safety not only on on, you know, um from a learning point of view, you know, a lot of obviously safety management and compliance as you said um that's really big on sites now making sure all that stuff is as safe as it can possible that's obviously the key for all of us especially as managers we don't want anybody ever getting hurt or anything happening to any of our staff people or anything so that's really key for us but i think also the safety and the machinery like if you look at the access industry and the telehandle industry are two that i play in a lot um 
the amount of technology and that's on the machines that uh, for safety technology is amazing. It's, it's great. I think, I think as a, as a, a rental industry, I think we've just gotten a lot smarter. We've got a lot more technology, which is providing us the opportunities to use, you know, better asset management, better, better life costs, you know, look at every machine and, 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 and make sure it's in the right place at the right time doing the right job. Um, I think that's given us that opportunity to actually just be a smarter industry. It seems every year the technology is just getting better and better. And I think the, the rental companies are now definitely expecting a certain level of technology from these OEMs. And, and then the rental company's customers are also expecting a certain level of technology as well. I think it's, it's great seeing customers have things like QR codes or machines and be able to scan the machine and get that information quickly. And that's really setting a standard. Now, Let's talk about success for a little bit. And this is a pretty big question. So like, how do you define success and what was really a defining moment for you? Well, it was a, um, it was a big question and it made me actually think about a few things, but I, I, and the first thing I thought about, if you'd asked me what success is 10 years ago, it's very different to what my success is now. So 10 years ago, I would have thought, you know, the car you drive, the pay, your, your pay packet, you know, um, all that kind of prestige kind of stuff. But I think now it's, it's, it's more, it's a lot simpler than that. I guess, you know, one of the things, part of your question was at the defining moment and I kind of, uh, so eight years ago when I was working, I was a state manager over in WA at force access and I was on a trip up in the top end of uh, Port Hedland and I got in a very bad, bad car accident. And um, I spent the next four and a half months in hospital, right? The first, the first couple of weeks of that, um, that, I was strapped to a bed and couldn't move because I'd broken my neck, broken my back, broken a bunch of other things as well. But uh, the first the first two weeks, I was literally strapped to a bed and the only thing I could move was my eyes. And it gave me a lot of time to reflect and understand and really kind of think about what I've been doing for the last, you know, I was 36 when that happened. So kind of what had happened in the last 20 years of my life working, what I've been doing. And I guess the, um, so my vision or my, my view of success really changed from that point prior to that accident to now, because I realized that, you know, all that, all the material items really don't mean anything. Um, it's more that family and friends and, and that kind of stuff that means a lot to you. So, um, yeah, so, the, so after basically four and a half months in hospital, I really changed my view and, and realized that um, probably if you're talking success, I, I think it's really that, that work-life balance, that happy, you know, you, somebody who's happy, got the right balance in their life, spend, you know, enjoys, enjoys things. Um, and also that the, the big key for that, I think, is also helping others. I think that was one of the things you kind of go, well, you know, a lot of people help me get to where I am. I want to help other people get to where they want to be. So I think my vision of success now is probably happiness, a good balance on life, and helping others achieve their goals. Wow, you you would never really want to wish that upon anyone because that, even though it definitely gives you a a different perspective of life or a different appreciation of life, it it really uh, can affect you in the long term. Yeah, well, the, the first, like I said, I, I broke my neck in three places. So the first two weeks, I didn't know if I was going to walk again. I, I sat on a bed and I was thirty six, and I was sitting there going. I don't know if I'm ever going to walk. I don't know if I'm going to get out of the hospital. I didn't know what was going on. So it really made me reflect and think, okay, when you get out of this, you know what, you're going to just make sure you enjoy life a little bit more. I, I did. I was my, she's now my ex-wife sadly, but um, 
my wife at the time, she always used to say I was a workaholic and, you know, you put work first and all this kind of stuff. And looking back, I used to deny it, but looking back, I go, yeah, you probably did. But it was, um, it's what I needed to do. And that's what I thought was the right thing to do back then. So I still work hard today. Don't get me wrong. I still work my butt off, but um, I do try to make a little more time for enjoying life. So you mentioned that the accident happened while you were at Force Access in WA. So where have you worked around the country? So I, I moved. I've been based in Sydney. So I originally came to Sydney when I first um, I first arrived in Australia. Moved, lived down in Carnola. My goal, you know, as a twenty-year-old, my goal was really just to learn how to surf. I just wanted to have a year of learning how to surf and kind of live live the live the life of an Australian. That's exactly what I wanted to do. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I loved it. Loved it. Fantastic year of my life. Um, but when I moved back to Australia, after going back to Canada, we moved back to Australia, we based ourselves in Sydney. I got the job at Coates and then went on to force. Um, so when I was at force, I was the new South Wales operations manager and a state manager's role in, in Western Australia came up. Um, and I was offered that role and I was, uh, yeah, looking forward to taking it. So, uh, we packed up the family. Um, we packed up the family and moved over there. And, um, yeah, sadly enough, it's six weeks later. After we, after we moved there, we got in that accident, and then we moved back after a year. Six weeks? You were barely even moved in. That's um, that's insane. So the injuries sound quite um, extensive. So your, your recovery period would have been a long time, yeah? So I guess uh, if I go through the accident, so basically, because I had lots of injuries, obviously. So I had bleeding on the brain. I broke my collarbone. Broke my neck in C1, C2, and C3. I pretty much broke all the ribs that were in line with the seatbelt. Um, and I broke my back, L1, T12. I broke my hand, my wrist. I had a lacerated spleen, lacerated liver. I lost half of my bowel, lost my appendix. I've got a couple of hernias that run across my stomach from where the seatbelt did all a bunch of damage. Um, so, yeah, so the recovery time was huge. Um, it was, uh, I was four and a half months basically in hospital. Um, the first couple of weeks of that, like I said, I was laying in bed, couldn't move anything with my eyes. Um, and then when I finally could, have, you know, I had to learn kind of how to walk again, it took me three days to learn how to walk again. Um, but once I could get up and walk around and, um, start getting on the recovery process, you know, it was probably, it was a good two years worth of kind of gym sessions. And because I went from being 72 kilos down to 58 kilos or 57 kilos, and then, um, just trying to get that weight back on. And trying to just lose all your muscle and everything and it, it took about two years just to get back up to close to 70 kilos and that's when i started feeling good again it was, it was a good two years of solid gym work not a lot of people like talking about it but i assume that the the mental side of it would have also been a, a quite a long recovery because something like that is really as i said before it it, it truly is life-changing it's, it's 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 one of the things i guess that um i'm glad you asked mark because the mental side of it was huge and it was um you know, there was, and I'll be honest with you, I'll be very open with you. It's, um, it was, there was many, many times that I was laying in that bed at a hospital. And I was like, I said to the nurse at one day, I said, you're lucky I can't walk or I'll throw myself off the top of this building. Cause I was, you know, you're constantly in pain. You got, you can't, you know, it was just, you know, they always obviously feeling, feeding you some drugs and some pain relief and stuff. And it was just messing with you really badly. But, um, you know, so I've got pins and rods in my back and stuff like that, which, you know, I've, I've, I've learned to accept and they're, they're fine. They, 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 they make my, they can make my, I'm not as flexible as I used to be. And I do get some back pains and neck pains and stuff, but you learn to live with them. So, but yeah, there was many times from a mental point of view that I was really struggling and, 
And um, I did have to go get help. And I'm not afraid to say that I actually had to go to see a psychologist and, and um, she helped me out. And, you know, I think that was one of the, the big things was actually being able to accept the fact that I needed help. And I, and I was in a really bad state of mind. I appreciate you telling me that. So with all those those changes and, and the, the mental side of it, did that affect the way that you were managing your staff and, and working with your team members? Yeah, well, I think... I think when you go through something like that, I think it gives you the opportunity to recognize when people are suffering. And I think when, you know, people, there's, there's lots of people that will say they're okay. But I think if you, you, you know, you, you get to know your staff really well, you can really kind of pick when they're not okay. And you're kind of going, something's not right. And you just got to be able to ask those probing questions sometimes, which might get people out of their comfort zone, but at least it identifies an area that if you can help them with, you know, it's, it's really important. Um, like I said before, I, I really truly believe that, you, you know, as, as, a, as a person, we learn all this stuff, but we've got to use it to help others. And, and if, if, if this accident gives me one thing, if I can help somebody else through what I've gone through, it makes it all worth it. That's very selfless. And, um, yeah, again, I don't think many people have that quality in life, and you can only get that through life experience. So tell me about something that you wish you knew when you were younger. When you're young, you're young in your, in your, you know, your early career, you're kind of almost intimidated by these guys that have been doing it for so long that seem to know so much and you look up to them and you're almost, you're almost afraid to ask questions. So it would have been good if somebody would just said, look, don't be afraid to ask. Just ask the question. You know, it's okay. You're going to learn from it. You're going to make mistakes. Learn from your mistakes and, and take every learning opportunity that you can because that's going to help you in your career. So I think, yeah, being able to ask those questions and learn from all that information those other people had would have been, without having to feel kind of intimidated by them, I think would have been good. But uh, well, it's the way I work now is basically I try to make sure that anybody can ask anything at any time. And, uh, you know, the people say it all the time, there's no stupid question in there. Is if you don't honestly genuinely don't know, just ask, you know, and if you can, and if you don't know the question, we come back to you, we'll get you the answer and come back. Don't worry, I've asked plenty of stupid questions and I still ask stupid questions almost every day. Look, I think back then uh, the construction industry was very different as well because uh, it was a bit more intimidating, I guess. Yeah, definitely. No, no, you're exactly right. It was, it was, very, it was, it was a construction industry and, and even if you want to look at change, you look at the amount of, amount of uh, women that are in the industry now, which is fantastic. It's taken a long time for, for that to happen. And, um, but yes, definitely the, uh, you know, used to be a bit old school, a bit of a tough industry, you know, and um, I think management and leaders have definitely changed and understand you get, I, th- I think personally, you get more value out of your employees by, by showing them that understanding and that acceptance. It's okay. So if you don't know, we'll find out we'll work, you know, just find out. You ask the question, we work on that, work on the answer. Talking about learning as well. For me, the hire and rental association has really been a big key for me in terms of networking. How involved are you with the association and the events they put on? Yeah, I generally go to all of them. So I'm, I'm, I'm also the vice president of the Telehandler Association. So I, um, I sit on that. So I attend those meetings, obviously, because we're in the TSHA, HRA, EWPA Association are all together in that kind of one business. We all kind of interlink somehow. And it's, it's one of those industries, as you probably understand, once you kind of get to know people, you kind of, you, you, you've, you've either, you've either, you know, had a few drinks with them in the past or worked with them in the past. So it's, um, yeah, we attend, I attend as many HRA functions as possible. I get quite a bit out of it. I didn't realize that you were the vice president of the Telehandler Association. So you must be close with John Glover then. 
yeah, because he's on the EWP side as the president. And he's definitely been someone that I think is a, a key person when it comes to like maintenance and service and, and being a mentor. Now, well, Glover's a, he's an exceptional bloke too. He really is. I, obviously, I work very closely with him. And um, he's uh, yeah, actually, we went for a walk. Just We went in a bit of a walk the other day down the, down the, the mountains. Um, but uh, he's actually a really smart, clever guy, great manager. Um, you know, he's got an aviation engineering background, so he's, he's, he's more than just a, a clever guy. He's got some good experience under his belt as well, so he's, a, he's an exceptional guy. I'm sure John will appreciate hearing that. Well, that about wraps up our discussion. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with The Rental Journal. Yeah, no worries, Mark. I'm happy to do it. And, like, don't get me wrong, if you ever need anything else, don't be afraid to give me a buzz. And when you're back in Australia, happy to have a coffee. Please follow and share the Rental Journal podcast and we'll hope to see everyone in the next episode.